I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Luke's Massive Storytelling Podcast Thing. Whoa, yeah. Here we go. Check it out now. Enjoy. Welcome to Luke's Massive Storytelling Podcast thing. My name is Luke and this is my thing. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, I'm actually a little bit under the weather today, so I'm going to keep this intro super short and super sweet. Um, So last week we interviewed Zach Bohannon, a horror author. And today we're going to interview another horror author, keep that theme going. Uh, We're going to be interviewing Jay Fawn. Jay Fawn is an Amazon Top 100 Most Popular Author in Horror, Science Fiction, action and adventure and fantasy uh, I'm currently reading one of his books uh, it's the Portal Arcane book and it's called Reversion and it's awesome it's really awesome so I think I think you should all go check it out um, he's also the co-host of the Horror Writers uh, the Horror Writers podcast with Zach Bohannon uh, he's also the producer of the Dark Arts Theatre a video magazine dedicated to horror, dark fantasy heavy metal and hard rock uh, and He's also a self-confessed metalhead. Uh, I would go as far to say he's so metal that if you were to dampen him and put him in an oxygen-rich environment, he might rust. Uh, he's so metal that if you were to leave him in a bath of Coca-Cola overnight, his clothes and dirt would be gone, but he would be as shiny clean as a brand new 50 pence piece. He's so metal that when the devil plays his records backwards, it plays the sound of Jay's latest audiobook. Okay, Okay, let's do this. Earlier today, I uh, interviewed Zach. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, today is like my horror author day. Nice. All right. Yeah. Oh, I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, let me start with the question that I asked Zach what question I should ask you. So maybe I should start with that. <laughs> okay. He said, how, how does Jay maintain that lovely mop of hair? <laughs> how do i maintain it so uh i need need some clarity on the question does he mean like (laughs) how do i groom it or uh how do i keep it long i'm not sure uh i think he mean i think he wants to know how you have hair because i think he was uh, a little bit down on the fact that he's he's maybe follically challenged a little bit more like like me i guess (laughs) But, well, uh, I wish I wish I could say there was something I did, uh, but <laughs> I, I think that's just genes. So I guess um, I give credit to my mom. Yeah, there's no rituals or, or anything involved. N- no, there's there's no um, there's no sort of blood cult, uh, <laughs> you know, dance or anything I do. It just uh, <laughs> I guess, I, I guess uh, you know some people were born with brains, and I was born with the ability to have long hair. <laughs> nice, <laughs> cool. Okay, so. Uh, so getting into it then, so um, maybe give us a bit of a background about yourself when you started writing and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm, 
I, I'm relatively new to the game. Uh, although in the indie circle, I'm sort of becoming a, more of a veteran. But you know, this this whole self-publishing Kindle explosion thing is is really kind of new. So uh, I do consider myself new as far as a writer goes, but maybe a little more experienced on the uh, on the self-publishing side, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess you know I've been writing my whole life. Um, not novels, but various types of writing. You know, I wrote for uh, editorials for my school newspaper in college, and I've written all kind of technical manuals. And uh, I guess it was around uh, 2008, 2009, I was reading a lot of epic fantasy. And uh, I, I kind of go through phases like I do with music where I listen to, you know, I read or I listen to stuff, same kind of stuff for a while. And I was really into a lot of epic fantasy. and um, And it was really good. And I know I don't know, something kind of clicked. And I think a lot of writers have this moment where I thought, wow, I could, I could write one of these. Like I could write the exact story that I want to read. And, uh, and that's kind of how it started. And so I had no experience, uh, writing novels. I had no idea what to do. So the first thing I did was, uh, grab the copy of Stephen King's on writing and I, and I read it twice and I took notes and I thought, all right, I got the blueprint, got this all figured out. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll just sit down and a, and a novel will come flying out of my <laughs> fingers. And, uh, you know, it wasn't quite that easy. And, uh, and, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of jumped right in. I'm sort of an, a, an impulsive risk taker in many ways. And instead of starting with like a short story or a blog post, I was like, I'm going to write an epic fantasy. 180,000 <laughs> words is my target, you know, Jesus, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, dumb. So, <laughs> so I did, but you know, I, you know, there's 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 also something to be said about that approach, and then I think you learn a ton. I mean, as, as long as you're not afraid of really messing up, uh, you can learn a lot that way. And and I really did. And you know, I've I've documented the story, and on my about me page, I have a video where I kind of tell it more detail. It when I was doing a speaking gig for um, Author Marketing Live a year ago. And you know, bottom line is, I, I I made all the terrible mistakes that most people cringe about right now. But I I learned from all those, and within a matter of years, I was uh, regularly self-publishing, and and now I think I have the equivalent of I don't know, ten, eleven novels out, and probably six or seven slated for twenty sixteen. So wow, it's kind of how I got where I am, I guess. When was the first time you published? I'm looking on the Amazon page. It looks around oh, two thousand and eleven. It would have been the. Uh, yeah, I think it's the burden of conquest was the uh, the title of that epic fantasy, and I uh, I have long since pulled that <laughs> down <laughs> because I felt um, like that was not worthy, and it was not I, I couldn't possibly ask people to to not only spend money but their time reading it. It was just it was just really bad. I mean, it was it was my first book, and I think uh, again a lot of authors will will say that you know you. You kind of have to get some demons out in that first manuscript, and 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 you're not you're going to look back at it, um, sort of like musicians do on their first album. Even if it's a good album, <laughs> it's still your first, and you you there's so many things you learn that it's uh, I don't know, it's bittersweet in a way. It's crazy because a lot of uh, indie authors I talk to are very much about pushing it, pushing the books through, publishing as fast as possible, and and just getting the, getting them out. ASAP, but if, with you and um, the co-writing projects, it sounds like you're taking your time a little bit more. Um, are you finding that to be true? Yeah, um, it's true now. I think you go through different phases, and I think when you're trying to get your when you're trying to get yourself established and you're trying to get eyeballs on your stuff, it it does benefit you to get 
stuff out quickly and often and on a regular basis. There's no doubt about it. That that helps. And then I think you hit a certain point where you sort of have enough of a back catalog that if someone discovers you for the first time uh, and they have enough to read through <laughs> that you don't, you know, if you only have one book and someone really likes it, then where do they go next? And I think that's that's the challenge of a brand new writer is if you don't have a lot, then you, you do need to kind of produce stuff pretty quickly if you want to keep customers, if you want to keep people reading. Um, so and, and part of it too that I think is, I'm kind of in this for the long haul, and uh, you know, I, this is—I'm not in this. I'm not an internet marketer. I'm not trying to make a big score on a single book so I can, you know, retire. Like I, I plan on writing the rest of my life, and and so for me, it's a slow drip and you know, a slow burn, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and and the other thing too is I'm I'm not so sure writing fast uh, is is the best advice for everyone. Hmm. I think you should write as fast as you know you can. Because we all produce it at different rates in different ways. I mean, you look at someone like Dean Wesley Smith, and that guy just cranks out like thousands of words a day every day. And if you compare yourself to that, you know, you'll just you'll wither and die. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. whatever it's like, I think you got to push yourself. To, and every we all know sort of when we're being lazy and when we're not. And I think if you can push yourself, then it'll be the right pace. Yeah. On on the uh, the opposite side to that as well. Um, I know quite a few people who are the book's pretty much finished, but they they spend the last two months just moving around commas and stuff, and, uh. <laughs> and I, I feel like maybe at that point they should probably publish and or, or write the next one or, or just move on a little bit. Yeah, that that's pretty common. I've done that too. I, I think that that's for me. That's always come out of fear. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's you know at, at some point. When you hit publish, you are no longer the owner of that piece of art. It it now belongs to whomever reads it, and so you you can sort of you can overanalyze and you can go too far. And at a certain point, you just got to ship the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just to get into nitty gritty a bit, what does uh, how do you go about starting a project and the planning and the outlining? Do you write beats or do you go straight in, or how does that work for you? You know, I used to be a total pantser, and mm. uh, and I was kind of I kind of wore that as a badge of honor. And uh, but I I don't necessarily know if that's the best approach anymore. And I, I think I've kind of moved more towards the middle. Uh, you know, I I, I I cannot write detailed outlines that they just bore me to tears. It feels like homework, and it sucks the passion out of anything. So I think now I'm sort of in a in a happy medium, and I have to give credit to uh, Sean Coyne. I discovered the Story Grid. I don't know if you're familiar with the book or the or the idea. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've only I'm only caught over the way through at the minute, but uh, it's yeah, it's cool so far. It's pretty fantastic. I mean, it, it really uh, for for those listeners who are not familiar with it, it's a it's a very structured but sort of bare bones approach to novel writing, and it. And Sean Coyne was an, an editor in the industry for 25 years. He published hundreds of uh, big six books in in his time as an editor. And what he learned was there were certain patterns and certain story structures that were universal. And those were the books that were uh, the biggest sellers, the one that's the the uh, ones people read the most. Uh, so I picked. Uh, he has a book called The Story Grid. He's doing a podcast now with Tim Grawl and. Uh, and now that I have that, I think I'm a little more structured in that um, I'll take sort of my 15 what Sean would call obligatory scenes and I, and I make sure I have those key components. 
And then the scenes or the chapters in between them, I let my muse kind of, kind of take over. So it's, it's, it's definitely more of a middle ground um, than, I, than where I started, but it's not anywhere near sort of like full paragraph outlines. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've got your, um, not, not fully fleshed out outline, but you know, you know where you're going to go. Um, do you sort of sit down and start at chapter one and, and what, what your word count's looking like? Yeah, it depends. Uh, it depends on sort of what my goals are. And uh, I, I, I can comfortably hit between two and 3,000 words a day, um, regardless of the time I have. So I, I do have a, a full-time day job I'm, you know, in, in consulting and in the IT world. And, uh, and so I, I have to squeeze my writing in outside of my work day. But even if I, even if I was writing full-time, I, I'm not sure I could get more than two or 3,000 words a day. I feel like when I've, I've had stretches where I have had the luxury of just, okay, the whole day is mine for like three weeks and I write and I still hit that two to 3,000 <laughs> words a day because I think that it's a certain, for me anyways, I feel like I get tapped out and hmm. I could certainly then sort of move on to a different aspect of writing. I could do revisions. I could do my marketing. But as far as the first draft, that's, that's the hardest for me. That's the most intellectually demanding. And, uh, and I just hit, I hit a ceiling. So uh, I, that's my goal. I try and hit 2,000 words a day when I'm first drafting. And I try and do it every day until it's done. So I try and keep it um, really tight because um, you know, I'm not that smart. And I, I start to lose track of the story. And I forget <laughs> characters' names. And so I figure if I can knock out the first draft in like you know, 30 to 60 days, I won't forget anything. And uh, so that's my goal. That's cool. Are you using a uh, Scrivener or? Abs- yeah, absolutely. I use that for first draft. It's it's a wonderful first draft tool. Um, all my editors use uh, track revisions in Word. So so once I'm past the the first draft, I don't go back to Scrivener. But for writing the first draft, I love it. Yeah. Uh, are you uh, so Zach was just telling me um, that he's started to dictate a lot. Have you have you dabbled in that yet? <laughs> I was. <laughs> Zach likes to hear himself talk. That's the only reason he was doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not recording anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're just talking. Uh, you know, I've tried it a number of times, and I just can't get it to work for me. Uh, I mean, not technically. I mean, I, my brain. You know, uh, it's like I, I see the words appear, and then I I start to like forget what I'm saying because I'm starting to look at the words, and I try looking at the words, and then I forget what I'm saying. And I've tried, like, I've tried writing blog posts that way. I've tried doing novel writing that way and just I, I don't know for some reason I can't get my brain to do it so I've kind of I've kind of given up on it and the tools are really good like I know, I'm sure Zach mentioned the, he uses uh, the Google Docs and, yeah. and the voice recognition with Google um, but for me I you know I end up spending when I, I tried it for like a week and I spent just as much time editing what it missed or what I missed than if I had just sat down with a keyboard and typed it yeah um so what, when it comes to uh, editing, you say your editors take it in, take it into Word, do their revisions, and then you, you, you push that back into Scrivener? Is that? I do not, no. Once, once it goes to my editor and once it's in Word, it stays there until it's done. And then from Word, I, I do, I said I'm, I'm an IT guy, and people, like, they, like, they shiver when they hear, like, HTML. But oh, I, <laughs> so you break it down to the bare bones, right? Yeah, I, I, form, I do really super clean formatting because um, Word and even Scrivener puts some junk code and tags yeah. in it and stuff. So I kind of just break it down from Word into a real simple HTML document. And then from there, I, I bust it back out to 
all the ebook platforms and create space for paperback. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, and you, I, I'd say you're horror. I've been saying you're horror writer, but you're not really just out. You do like sci-fi, dark fantasy, and um, do you do some children's fiction as well? I do. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. Uh, I don't know. It's controversial. You know, I, in the self-publishing world, people will say, you know, you should only write a certain genre. And if you don't, you're going to alienate readers. And I don't know. I, I've never I've never really bought into that. I mean, I you know, I'm a I'm a huge Stephen King fan. He's he's my number one influence. I read all of his stuff, you know, from the hardcore horror to the Dark Tower to, you know, any anything he does, I'm going to read. So that's kind of the approach I took. Now, I that being said, I'm not going to I'm not going to do something that's going to piss off some of my readers. So for like, I would not write, uh, you know, steamy romance, for example, that probably wouldn't be me because it's not authentic. Yeah. But I do dabble in like some sci-fi, some dark fantasy. I call myself a horror writer, although I'm not really the slasher, uh, gore, splatterpunk type of horror. Mine's more of the paranormal, supernatural, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, and then the children's, things that I've written were really for my kids. So as my kids have grown up and they've gone in these different stages of being readers, I've written them things. And, uh, and they, they always, they always, you know, make me publish it. Um, they don't sell anything. Kids books don't sell anything, but my, you know, my kids get a kick out of it. So anytime yeah. I write something for them, I ended up publishing it. So that's probably, if you look at my Amazon page and you'll see some chapter books and some middle grade stuff. And I wrote those for my kids. Yeah. Are they, uh, are they going to start writing at any point? Uh, you know, they do here and there and they're, uh, my son is 13 and my daughter's 10. And, uh, you know, at that age, I think they're still emulating mom and dad. So I don't, uh, you know, they write stuff. I don't know if they're doing it because they like it or if, because I write. Um, so I don't, I don't push, you know, if they write yeah. something I'm like, Oh, that's great. And if, and if they're playing video games or making video, like my son's into Minecraft and he does, you know, YouTube videos on Minecraft play, and I have no idea what the hell that is. But <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not a Minecrafter, but you know, that's he's really passionate about that, and that's what I try and, and tell them. You know, it's, find the thing that you really love doing, and and do that. That's yeah. the key to life. <laughs> um, so when when you're sort of publishing in different genres, for me, I feel like this is the day and age where you probably can do that, and and the genre is you. Do you know what I mean? So yes, I, I feel like because I'm working my way through your first revision, uh, Portal Arcane book, I'm pretty sure that I got a good grasp of what it is that is Jay Fawn. So I could go on to quite happily, comfortably go on to another genre book that is written by you. Yes. Um, I mean, so is there any particular genres that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Um, you you know I. I I'm not being pretentious, but I, I I really have never thought too much about genre, and I think that goes back to my my days as a musician. Um, it it really pissed us off uh, gigging when when people would sort of pigeonhole you in a, as a certain type of music, like as if you couldn't play a different style on a song or an album. And I I think I've taken that same approach in publishing, and I think your point is very well taken, and I I honestly believe that and. Um, if I'm wrong, then I'm going to be losing readers, but it's what I believe, which is I'm not selling a book or a series. I'm, I'm selling myself. I'm a brand and, and my, my brand is this sort of, uh, dark esoteric storytelling. And sometimes that's in the form of music and sometimes it's in novels and sometimes it would be considered dark fantasy and sometimes sci-fi. And, and I'm okay with that. And I think, uh, 
I'm looking for people who are sort of fans of, of me and, and my storytelling as opposed to a particular book or a series. Yeah. What, what is it that draws you to that darker side of storytelling? Uh, it's, you know, it's, I think it's something I've always enjoyed. Um, I've, you know, I, I've been pretty open about the fact that I've had, uh, addiction issues and anxiety issues my whole life. And, uh, and I, I won't say that's what, that's what drove me to it. But I think, um, there's something really authentic about being, <laughs> about being able to write about the demons that you experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and that sort of dark storytelling has just uh, you know the Stephen King, uh, I, I mentioned him a few times, but I found his stories just so gripping. And I think the thing with horror in particular is you kind of get everything with horror. You know, like if it's written well, it's suspenseful, it's action filled, it's it's scary, it's hopeful. Um, it can be romantic. I mean, it's got all kind. It's got all kind of. Li- literary elements in it which is why i love it so much so for me um it it, it it is the darker stuff but there's there's sort of a whole there's more layers to it yeah i think i'm trying to remember i've been reading uh sean coin's book and i'm sure there's a part where he talks about how horror is is a more overarching genre that can be there could be an element of horror in pretty much any genre yeah absolutely he um he says that sort of the the modern day thriller is is the most appealing story in this particular moment in time, and he he goes to on he goes to lay out he lays out why that's the case, and I think um, the way he describes it is the horror genre is sort of um, taking the thriller to the next step. So it's it's a very similar story uh, story type, but the consequences are, are much graver. (laughs) So like, and I think in the thriller, it's, you know, between life and death and he's like in horror, it's like, there's something worse than death. (laughs) Like damnation or something like that. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if somebody wanted to sit down and write like a good horror novel, um, what would be your first suggestion for them? I would my first suggestion, without hesitation, is you'd have to read Pet Cemetery first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is um, probably my favorite standalone book. It's one of my favorite Sting, Stephen King novels, and it's it's my favorite because it it's not only extremely frightening to the core, but it's such a simple story, and and I think it's really hard to write a simple story. Like I think if you if you're really into world building and you have a cast of, you know, 75 characters and nations and wars and, and you have all this stuff going on, there's so much that you don't have to focus as much on the story with a capital S. But with Pet Cemetery, uh, I, I don't want to spoil in case any of your listeners want to go read it, but it is, it's simple. I mean, you, you almost know from the first couple chapters exactly how it's going to end and yet you cannot put it down. I feel like I cheated with that because I've seen the film. I've not actually ah. read the book. <laughs> yeah, you have cheated totally. <laughs> is it is uh, the book? I mean, is the film on par with the book in any way? Or no? Well, no. I mean, it's 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 an it's an adaptation. I, Zach and I talked about this too, and uh, and and my former co-host Richard and I uh, did a whole episode on Pet Cemetery, and I, I the the biggest difference for me is it, the the movie's more hokey. Um, mm. The 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 fear in Pet Cemetery 
is is psychological in my opinion and yet the movie it doesn't that doesn't translate to a movie you sort of need more of a physical representation of of the threat and so that's why i think for the book uh it, the book is particularly powerful it, especially if if you have children and i'm not saying you don't you wouldn't enjoy this if you're not a parent but there is an added layer to it if you are a parent that will um shake you to your core <laughs> yeah and I guess that's one of those things you're trying to strive for in a, in a good horror story in general, right? You know, in in any st- in any story, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we you know we started when we started talking. We were, I, and I mentioned you know epic fantasy, and I I I was that guy. Like I, I was like I was all about the world. Like I was going to build this fictional place, and this army was going to battle this army. And and I think the more I do this, the more I realize I I want to keep a small cast. I want to keep the story fairly simple. I want the ending to be not predictable, but inevitable, you know, and I, mm. and that's really hard to do. And so I just keep working at it every day. Yeah. Um, can you take us through what your ideal workday looks like and what your actual workday looks like? <laughs> Cause there's, there's usually a difference. Yeah. Ideal. Um, I am definitely, um, I'm definitely a morning person. Mm. Uh, at this point in my life, I haven't always been that way, but uh, I probably I get up at uh, around four forty-five, five a.m. and I, the first thing I do um, is I do some meditation, I do a little bit of exercise, and I do my writing for the day. And I kind of feel like if I if I write first thing in the morning, before like I look at my email, before you know my wife is badgering me about something, before <laughs> the workday creeps in. Like if I get my words done, which are the most important thing to me, the rest of the day is gravy. Like it almost doesn't matter what happens in a way, you know. So, um, so I, I I write really early uh, when I'm first drafting, and then I I typically leave. Uh, I can do revisions at any time. Revisions mm. are the most pleasurable part of writing for me. Um, that's kind of taking the clay and molding it. Um, and, and I really, really enjoy that. So for me, I could do revisions at any point and, and I could revise 50, hundred pages a day, no problem. Wow. Uh, and then the marketing pub, the marketing, uh, piece that's, I usually do that till the evening because that, that demands less intellectually from me. It's more regimented, it's more systematized. And so I, I, I feel like when I'm, when I'm tired or fatigued, that's, you know, I can I can do that kind of stuff, and so I, I usually leave that to the evening. Yeah. So you know that's ideally that's that's how my day would be structured. Um, the only difference is now I have those hours nine to five in between that belong to someone else. Yeah, it's weird. Um, a lot of uh, writers I talk to, successful writers, uh, are, are morning people, or or they've forced themselves to become morning people now. Um, and <laughs> it's it's strange how so. I never used to be a morning person, but I have since I've started to focus more on writing. Mm. And if I get out my word count, like half an hour before I leave for work, I'll be on my way to work and I'll feel happy because I feel like the day's work is already done. Yes. <laughs> even, though it's no, even though it's just started, really. But, That's exactly it. it it's, uh, it's very akin to having uh, a workout regimen. And if you, if you do your workout in the morning and you feel good about it, you feel good about it because you did it and you also feel good about it because it's done. You don't have to worry about it after dinner or in the evening or and, and I think the writing is the same way. And especially, you know, if you're really passionate about it and it's and it's what you love to do the most, 
then it should be the first thing you do when you get up. And there's some there's some pseudoscience involved too. Um, it, it's maybe more than pseudoscience. There's probably some some clinical trials that would bear this out. But I tend to sort of set the stage for myself the night before. So I don't I don't necessarily map out exactly what I'm going to write the next day, but I, I might give myself a sentence or two, sort of an idea of a direction I want the scene to go. Mm. And I just think about it before I go to bed. And then when I get up in the morning... You know, you, your your subconscious processes a little bit um, while you sleep, and then you get up in the morning, and I just kind of feel like I get a little jump on the scene that way. Yeah, you're the um, the first person I've spoken to who said they meditate, uh, and it's something I've um, been doing more of, uh, and I, I I really enjoy it. I I feel like it's I don't know, it just switches the brain off and lets you relax a little bit more and uh, get more into the moment. I mean, what's your meditation routine look like? It's pretty simple. Um, I, I I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Uh, Miracle Morning, I think it is. Is I, that how how and how Elrod? Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's the one. I I read that this summer, and uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot because um, the basic premise of his book is that it doesn't matter when you get up, but get up deliberately and get up before you have to. And then if you do that alone, like that alone is a victory. And then what you can do is sort of structure. The, the, the bonus time, so to speak, that you have from getting up before you have to. And you can do this other stuff like reading and writing and exercising and meditating. So I, I took his, his approach and I sort of modified it to fit myself and my lifestyle. And uh, for me right now, the meditation is uh, I set a timer on my phone for 15 minutes. So it's not a, it's not a long time. I, you know, it's not hours. But uh, I, I sit in Lotus on the floor with the lights off. And my eyes opened and I stared at a point on the wall for 15 minutes. And it, it does kind of help clear your mind. Do you find it um, <laughs> impacting your storytelling in any way? I think it does. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, this meditating got me all choked up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting some more water here. Cool, man. All, all right. right. We're even going to push on, man. We're not going to yeah, let yeah. some, some <laughs> cough derail me. <laughs> Yeah, um, come on. Well, I've not got I've not got too many questions left to be honest. So um, we're coming on like the home home stretch. Uh, so if you were to start again tomorrow, um, brand new J Fawn, we've not got any books out there or anything. Um, what would be the first What would be your first step? That's uh, that's a great question, and and honestly, um, <coughs> my answer to that changes. <laughs> <coughs> I think right now, I would uh, probably. Um, I would probably write three books before yeah. I published anything. And that's really hard advice. And I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if I could take it myself, but that's what I would do. Yeah. That, that's, um, I've heard a lot of people say that seems to be the best advice going at the minute to write three books within a specific genre. And then would you release them all at the same time? Or, I, you know, I think that there are different ways you could do that. I would also add, <clears throat> That I would make them all in the yeah. same series. Um, I think there is uh, <clears throat> that tends to be the way people are consuming and they're reading today, and uh, they want that sort of serialized approach. So I would yeah. definitely do that too. Cool, cool, man. So just the last question then: um, Where can we keep up with you and your work? Uh, easiest thing to do is go to jthorn.net. That's the portal, and that'll get get you to everything, all my books, my social media, everything, all the podcasts, they're all in, in right through there. Yeah, is there anything else you want to let, let the guys know about? No, I just, uh, it was a really pleasure talking to you, man. I'm, I'm sorry I got uh, all choked up on the second half of this interview, but uh, 
Then it was nice to, to meet you. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. Um, I'm about to get myself some lemsip now to sort out my throat and my cough because it's really getting on my nerves. <laughs> um, if you haven't already, go back and listen to the Zach Bohannon interview. Uh, these two episodes are sort of like companion pieces. Um, I've also got a lot of editing work, uh, a lot of editing to work on, uh, trying to get everything prepped for the coming year. But if you were wondering what to do now, maybe you could leave a review in iTunes. Uh, you don't have to, but you know, if you're bored, why not, right? Um, cool. And on that inspirational note, <laughs> goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.